expectant waiting that we need to we need to remind ourselves of and participate in as we enter into advent season and paul is coming to the thessalonians and he is charging them also to embrace the waiting right uh, isaiah tells us all those who wait upon the lord will have their strength renewed they will rise up and and run they will they will run and not be weary they will they will mount up like eagles and so forth so these these advent calls to waiting and faithfulness are what i want to charge you and remind you of as we head into this season. So Paul speaks to the Thessalonians. And right off the bat, as he jumps into them, he gives God thanks for them. But down in verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So when Paul looks at the Thessalonians, what he rejoices in and gives thanks for, most of all, is their patience and their faith, right? Their faithful waiting in the midst of tribulation and strife. Now again, as we set the context for Advent, so far we've got tribulation, strife, patience, and faithfulness, okay? These are the, this is sort of the word cloud that we need to have in this season of Advent. And remember, this short little four-week season is a picture of our entire lives because our entire lives should be filled with eager expectation and faithful patience in the midst of tribulation. Now, again, let's link this back to Daniel. In the last few chapters of Daniel, we had Daniel getting these visions of sustained tribulation. Right? When the Lord, you know, Daniel, who was like, oh, Lord, it's not working out today like I hoped it would. And the Lord's like, come here, I want to show you something. <laughs> you, know, you think it's not working out today like you're hoping? Here, come on, come here. And he just lit, pulls down the veil and lets him see the next 500 years and goes, take a look. <laughs> and it's like trial, trial, terrible, 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 terrible. I mean, just, just one more trial, one more trial. He says, okay, there's the next 500 years. <laughs> Scream back up. Okay, so that's what we got coming. So we, let's deal. Now we can deal with today. Now you know that the story you are in is a story of tribulation after tribulation after tribulation after tribulation after tribulation. Daniel, you'll be long gone, and your people are still going to be dealing with that tribulation 400 years out, okay? And let me tell you who the king will be. His daughter will be this. I mean, he goes into all that detail. So, you know, I'm getting specific here. And then at the very end, seals up that scroll, a scroll that we know, we, we point out, gets unsealed by Jesus. There in Revelation 5, when he who is worthy takes the scroll, lucid seals, and when he looses the seals of the scroll, what happens? Horsemen come running out of there. Well, they're summoned out by the Lord. Come, he says to the first horseman, come. And authority was given to him to conquer a third of the earth. Come, he says to the rider on the red horse, and it was given to him power to cause civil strife throughout the earth. Come, says the Lord, and the rider on the black horse is given power to bring economic disaster over a, a large percentage of the earth. Come, he says to the pale horse, for everyone who's not having to deal with the other horses, come, you rider of death, and you know, 
you go right over the face of the earth as well. I mean, that's what happens when now we get to the, oh, finally the scroll gets unloosed. And when it gets unloosed, more trouble. And then you read the book of Revelation and beasts are coming out of the sea and, and, and bowls of wrath are being poured out of the sky and the harlot is wooing the people. And we've got, we've got all kinds of calamity. And why do I make this point? Because it's important for us to know because you get your expectations wrong about what this life is and it'll throw you out of whack. The psalmist admits it in Psalm 31. I have to confess, he says, I thought you left me. You find yourself in trouble and you throw your hands up and say, God, what the heck? And maybe he's not going to drag you out and pull down the screen and let you see 500 years of trouble. But that's why we have the book of Daniel. Because he does it for Daniel. And we stand there with Daniel and we get the point. We read the book of Revelation and we go, okay, all right. At least I know what I'm in for. I can buckle up, right? You know, you know, you know when the pilot, when the, you're, you're, you're flying on a jetliner and the pilot sees what you don't see, right? He knows because he's heard from other pilots and they're spreading the word up there and the air traffic control is talking to them and saying, hey, uh, flight 703, uh, you're about to hit some turbulence at 27,000 feet. And it's going to last for, okay, so what is it? Bing, all of a sudden that light comes on, the little bing, and pilot comes on. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, now we're going to ask you to fasten your seatbelts here. Uh, it could get a little bumpy here over the next couple. You know, he says it in that kind of voice. You know, that's the way. It could get a little bumpy here over the next couple minutes. And uh, just bear with us, but everything will be fine. <laughs> and all of a sudden, boom, 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 the plane's going. But that light comes on, and he tells you, hey, it's coming. Now, every now and then you get an air pocket you didn't expect, but most times the pilot lets you know what's coming. And that's what the Bible is doing for us, is saying, hey, just letting you know, it's going to be a bumpy ride. That is the flight you're on. So know that. This is one of tribulation and trials. We reflected upon this over the past couple of weeks with Daniel. And what this requires of us, what Advent requires of us, is patient endurance. Faithful waiting. And Paul sees it in the Thessalonians. And by the way, in telling them that he sees it, it's a way to encourage it in them so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches to, of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Endure. Again, another word that is a word of waiting, right? Endurance is, is something that's hard. It takes time. Time, you don't endure quickly. Endure means to persevere over an extended period of time. Okay? The endurance of the saints. You know, Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews in, in Hebrews chapter 12, when he's talking about, you know, shedding the sin which so easily entangles, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ and running the race with endurance. Endurance. This is what the Christian life calls for. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. You know, you know this, and I encourage you to endure until the end. Continue to push on. You know, it, it goes right until the day of the grave. So uh, your tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Man, that's a twist on things. Right? Your sufferings, Thessalonians, which in this case are for the gospel, your righteous sufferings 
uh, Thessalonians are evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Just the opposite of what the psalmist acknowledged he, he thought for a minute, right? That the Lord had abandoned him or turned his back on him. Actually, Paul flips the script and says, actually, these sufferings are evidence of God's judging rightly. Right, even in the in the uh, um, psalm that we sung in uh, Psalm ninety, was it ninety four? Uh, you know, you know, the ones you chastise, you love, Lord. Right, the the chastisement, the fact that He allows His saints to go through this. C.S. Lewis says in Screw Tape Letters that again, in the in the peaks and the valleys of the Christian life, he says he has a. Of course, he puts all this in the mouth of a demon, and so you gotta you gotta do the math to untangle the thing. But but Screwtape says to Wormwood, he says, Wormwood, don't don't think for a moment that because you're patient, right, this young man that he's trying to woo away from the faith, don't think for a moment the fact that your patient is down in the valley means that God has abandoned him. God does his best work with his most favorite saints in those moments. That's where God does his thing. Right, so here again, Paul sees the persecutions. Paul sees the afflictions as evidence of a verdict by God on behalf of His people. And here is the end. And I titled my my sermon this morning off of this phrase because it's used twice in this passage. Okay, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. That's a strong statement. Paul is saying, hey, brothers and sisters, your suffering is doing something in you. It is the righteous judgment of God by which he is making you worthy of the kingdom. This is why you suffer. Now, by worthy, he doesn't mean so that, again, you earn it. That's not what he means. What he means by by making you worthy of the kingdom is fitting for the kingdom. Appropriate for you to be in the kingdom. And your sufferings are doing that for you and in you. For Paul, this is the reason we endure, because God is conforming us to the image of his son. In Ephesians 2, he says, we are God's workmanship created for good works. Right? We are his workmanship. Imagine ourselves now like blocks of marble. And the master sculptor comes to do his work in us. And the master sculptor sees in this Bill Spanger block of marble, Jesus Christ. And he loves this block of marble, and hence he has made it his own. But in making it his own, he does not desire to leave it as a big, knotty piece of marble. His desire is to take this piece of marble and make it into something beautiful. And so the master sculptor takes out that big (laughs) chisel, stone chisel, and starts whacking away. You know, maybe a saw. You know, stone saw starts cutting in there, chipping and poking and whacking. And chunks of marble start falling off. And as he begins to take this chunk of marble and make it into something beautiful, sometimes there's big whacks with the hammer where big chunks of marble need to be knocked off of there. And sometimes there's fine sanding and filing that needs to happen. But all in all, it is working to take this piece of marble and make it into the image he has for it. 
And so it is. This is what God is doing in you. And you and I have a lot that needs to be whacked off. You and I have a lot that has to be cut away. Right? The sin, the distortion of the image of God within us needs to be taken away. And it would be nice if God just could speak to us and we would do it. But man, I, I, I teach kids all day. I was just, it is so hard to bring conformity. When I mean conformity, I don't mean it sort of in that restrictive way, but you know, where you see the potential in someone and instructing them and helping them mature to get there. Wow. It's like, I'm, I'm appreciating more and more. And I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm appreciating more and more how difficult it is. How nice if you could just see what somebody needs to do and just tell them and they do it or they become it. They become the thing you wish for them, but that's not how it works. It takes time. It takes trial. It takes error. It takes consequences, failing, successes, all these things over time. And God is doing that in you. You and I are sinners. We are twisted and distorted. We are messed up. And yet the Lord loves you. And he sees in you this block of marble. He sees the image of his son. And he will bring it out and make you worthy, make you beautiful, make you fitting for the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing in you. And Paul says, that is the purpose of your sufferings. Hey, that's encouraging at least. We may not like to suffer, but to know that our father has a purpose within it must build faith within us. A little child may not understand why his mommy takes him to the doctor to get a shot. That hurts. I remember as a kid, anytime my mom said I had to go to the doctor, the first thing I asked, am I get, do I have to get a shot? And I could tell when she was lying to me. You know, I could tell when she was telling me, no, well, we'll see. You know, anytime she said, we'll see, I knew. Oh, no. That means I am getting one. Because if I wasn't, she would confirm to me I'm not. But when she says, well, we'll have to see what the doctor says. Oh, I know I'm getting one. And little kids don't know why they need shots. And shots hurt, and we want to do anything to avoid it. Yet, we know that our parents love us. It's a hard thing, but nonetheless, a good parent brings their child to even receive a hard thing so that they can receive the health and be healthy as they know they need to be. And brothers and sisters, this is what your heavenly father on a much grander scale is doing with you. Everything in your life is oriented toward this. All things are working together for your good. And Paul looks at even the tribulations and he says, this is being done so that you may be made worthy or fitting for the kingdom. And then down in verse 11, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, beginning and end, this is what God is doing in you in these Advent struggles and in these Advent trials. Now, in our Advent, so what we have first is Paul just declaring for us, this is the, these are the times in which you live. Be prepared. Bling, the, the buckle your seatbelt light has come on. So know that, put your seatbelt on, Know that it's going to be bumpy, that the Christian life is not this beautiful, smooth ride, 
but that the trials along the way, the bumps along the way, which I don't want to minimize by calling them bumps. Some of them are really, really hard. But the trials and sufferings of this life are not just things we've got to get through. They are the intentional means that are preparing you for heaven. They are the intentional means of God that are preparing you for heaven. These light and momentary afflictions are working for you an eternal weight of glory. Not these light and momentary afflictions will not bother you in the end. No, no, no. These light and momentary afflictions are working for you an eternal weight of glory. So therefore, we don't have to bemoan the bumps. We can embrace them. Trust the Lord in the midst of them. Now, that frames the context. But then in there, in this sandwich of counting you worthy, Paul draws our attention to the end. As we said, Advent is looking forward to the end. And Paul reminds us of our reward, where our end is, and then also the end of those who persecute or who afflict for whom, you know, in the presence of whom we have to endure. And here's what he says. So first in verse five, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. That is, okay, let me, and to give you who are troubled Rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in the saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Okay, so Paul lays out for us now, he, he like with Daniel in this way, he lets us glimpse to the end and he says, at the end, Christ will come and two things are gonna happen. Let's deal with the wicked first so we can end, end on, a, on a good note. The wicked, as he says, will receive the vengeance of God. Everything. And so on the one hand, we could deal with those. Let's make it people that are opposing us, opposing the church, opposing the work of God, bringing evil and suffering upon the world that the Lord nonetheless will use to make you worthy of the, of the kingdom, but they will be have to be dealt with. Nebuchadnezzar may come in and invade Israel and be used by God to, to do a work in Israel, but Nebuchadnezzar nonetheless will have to answer to God for what he does. The Lord will use the wickedness of Joseph's brothers, but Joseph's brothers will have to give an answer for what they did to Joseph. The Lord will use Judas and Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate for his glory and for the good of his saints and even for the good of the Lord Jesus Christ, but Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas, and Judas will have to give an account for what they do. So again, the Lord is using tribulation to conform you to his image. Nonetheless, he will not allow one thing that has come against you to be left undealt with. 
everything, whether it's personal or impersonal, because remember, at the end of the book of Revelation, not only does the beast get thrown into the lake of fire, not only does the devil get thrown into the lake of fire, not only do all those who stand with him get thrown into the lake of fire, but even the impersonal reality of death gets thrown into the lake of fire. And so those who stand against you and that which stands against you, that which opposes you, the final enemy being death, every bit of it will be dealt with by the justice and righteousness of God so that there is no remainder. There's no remainder. There's not something that never quite got reconciled or something that never quite got dealt with. It will get dealt with. This is why Paul can say in in, uh, Romans chapter 12, do not repay evil for evil, for I will repay, for vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. You endure the suffering. You just keep your eyes on Christ. You let the Holy Spirit do his work on you. You wait and endure faithfully, trusting He will make all things right. Not most things, not it's going to be pretty good. He will make all things right, no remainder, nothing left out there. Whatever that means, our Heavenly Father will do it. We must trust Him to do this. And we trust Him because of what we've already seen Him do. We've We've seen Him send His Son to redeem us from our sin. Therefore, I trust Him. When He says, I'll set all things right, I I have to say, okay, Father, like I trust you because I've seen what you've done already. What else can I do but trust you? So I say that to tell you, it's not a blind faith. It's, It's a faith rooted in historical love, in the real actions of love. So he will repay every little bit those who trouble you. And in verse 8, he will bring the flaming fire of vengeance upon those who do not know him. We do not say that with glee. We don't don't say that with glee. We say it with trepidation. Again, it reminds us that Advent is a season that really should require fasting. Because we're looking forward to something quite dreadful. Which for the saints is beautiful, no doubt. No doubt. But that dreadful and awful day of the Lord will come when everyone will give account. Again, it's like I say about Good Friday. Good Friday is the best and worst Friday in the history of the world. Well, so will that day be. Good Friday Good Friday and Easter Sunday are the little foretaste of that great day of judgment and resurrection. And it will be a day of just unbelievable joy, but it will also be a day of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because the Lord will come and he will take vengeance on those who have not, and he uses a strange phrase here, obey the gospel of Christ. We don't usually put gospel and obedience together like that. But I think what we can take, what we understand him to be saying is, who did not hear it and do with it what we ought to do with it, namely believe and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not. They stopped up their ears. They covered their eyes. They cut their tongues out and chewed them off and spit them out before they would repent. Get that image from the book of Revelation. 
They are those with stony and hard hearts. They are those who in their hearts hate God. Even if in this life we didn't see it so clearly, it seemed like they were just nice neighbors and they were nice neighbors. We couldn't see that in the seed and root of their heart there was hatred for God. And yet on that day it will be exposed. And where it is, the Lord who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals will deal with it. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to make those judgments. I'm not worthy to assess whether somebody should receive the vengeance of God or not. I am not worthy of that, but he is worthy. You know why he's worthy? Well, Revelation 5 told us last week, he's worthy because he shed his blood. He poured out his life to the end for the sake of the world. And therefore, as the heavenly choir sing, you, O Lamb of God, are worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. You are worthy to execute that kind of judgment. And he will, on whom he sees fit. And again, we trust his judgment. But what we need to deal with in here is there is a judgment coming. And therefore, let us be like those faithful virgins in the parable of the 10 virgins who brought oil in their lamps, waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. Let us not fall asleep and come ill-prepared. Let us not get so distracted by the cares of our age that we stop enduring. That we view trials as, as these burdens and hurdles that get in the way of our earthly success or our earthly bliss. Let us fix our eyes on Christ and like those faithful bridegrooms with oil in our lamps so we can keep waiting and waiting and waiting, looking to him and his coming. Let us be such as those, lest when he come, we be found wanting. Because if we wait for him, and we can end on this, this good note, the Lord indeed will give us rest. In verse seven, so back in verse six, since it is the righteous, a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So here's the good news of the gospel for you. Again, every little bit that you suffered, everything that has ever come against you will be dealt with either in their themselves, if they have recalcitrant hearts, or it has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. But one way or the other, it will be dealt with. Nothing will left, be left hanging. So that's one piece of good news. And then finally, in verse 7, and to give you who are troubled rest. You know why you shouldn't complain and why you should worry? I just told, I told uh, my students this when we came back from Thanksgiving. We had our first morning assembly. You know, Thanksgiving is a short break. It's five days. But, you know, when you lose your rhythms, you're going to school every day. Then you get a five-day break. And, yeah, ooh, that's really great. Oof, it makes Monday hard. You got to get back in the rhythm. And I had to remind them. I said, now, look, we got four weeks till Christmas. Now, what makes breaks awesome is hard work. So let's go after these four weeks really hard. Rather than kind of lingering on with Thanksgiving woes of, oh, I wish we could be back on break. Let's set that aside now. We're back to work. Let's go four weeks hard, sprint it out. So when we get to Christmas break, we're a little bit out of breath, sweating. Because if we do that, we will go into Christmas break with joy. It'll be, oh, yes, yeah, break. Time with our family, time for feasting, time for Christmas celebration. That'll be great. But if we don't, if we kind of drag our feet and don't want to work hard, then we have this malaise that makes these four weeks awful. It kind of makes even Christmas break kind of, eh. So let's work hard so we can enjoy the break. And I'm telling you, again, if 
what the scriptures are telling you is you have rest coming. It's promised to you. So don't grumble about the troubles. Don't grumble about the hurdles. Don't grumble about the bumpy air and the seatbelt on and so forth, the hard work that we got to do. Press on. Run hard. Work hard. Because when you do, again, these momentary and light afflictions are working for you in eternal weight of glory. The more you endure, if you will, makes heaven just that much better. It's going to make it so great to come in there sweating and out of breath and walk into eternal glory. Those who suffered much in this life, how awesome will that rest be? And in that way, we don't have to like work so hard to avoid the suffering. We know that each time we do it, okay, this stinks. This is awful. Oh, but it's going to make the feast so much sweeter. Because that's what he promises us. He will give rest to us. Come unto me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. And the author of Hebrews says, work hard, fear, lest you fail to enter that rest. You do not want to fail to enter that rest. And so embrace the tribulation and may this season of Advent be a season of faithful endurance, looking forward to the rest and the righteous judgment of God that is to come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in this time of tribulation and trial, Lord, I confess myself, I'm so prone to whining and grumbling. I'm so prone, Father, uh, to, to seeking comforts and avoiding the bumps and, and, and the trials. But Lord, we pray that you would make us faithful, like those who are looking forward to the coming of the bridegroom, willing to bear any of the bumps and bruises, the costs and the troubles of the afflictions that are ours in this age. Father, we love you and we trust you, yet we confess our failure to trust you. We know that indeed you are working all things for our good, but Father, so often we turn and we, like the psalmist, cry out, you've forgotten us, O Lord. Forgive us for that. Keep us faithful and enduring until the end, lest we fail to enter that rest. And oh, Father, how we look forward to that day. And so with John at the end of Revelation, we cry out, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.